How to deal with the problem of space junk. Welcome back to Textonation. I'm Fred Fishkin. Joining us from Rogue Space Systems in New Hampshire is founder and CEO Jeremy Grimmett. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, thanks, Fred. Thanks for having me. Well, give us some background to start with about Rogue Space Systems. Love the name. Well, thanks very much. Um, well, it, it was all actually born out of a research paper that I wrote in school. And uh, after some encouragement and a visit to the MIT Space Conference, um, I decided to start what is now uh, Rogue. I um, recruited a couple of co-founders to try to help me out. And um, here we are a couple of years later and things are going extremely well for us. Well, tell us about it. What is the mission? Well, what we've decided to do, uh, as opposed to being entirely focused on just space debris removal, space debris removal is an analog to uh, performing satellite servicing and being able to repair satellites and create a more sustainable environment within space. So at the very beginning, we were very focused on space debris. But what we figured out was that the market was not ready. It wasn't prepared to pay a private company or any company, really, um, to remove space debris. Uh, not even the insurance companies were, were very interested. So we sort of pivoted to satellite servicing and creating a more sustainable uh, environment there so that we're not having to create more debris through um, the proliferation of uh, more and more satellites, being able to repair, reuse, uh, refit satellites, or um, maybe even uh, take them to higher orbits, help them with station keeping. Then in late 2020, uh, we had um, a company, or excuse me, we had the Space Force reach out talking to us about hey, can you do something about space debris after General Thompson had said, you know, we'd really like to do something about uh, space debris. We're going to pay commercial companies to deal with it. So over the past year and a half or so, we've been very focused on ISAM, uh, which is in-orbit service and manufacturing, um, which encompasses our role and our mission of uh, repairing and uh, fixing satellites and removing space debris. How do you go about doing that? Very carefully. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually a very complex process uh, to go and grab another object in space. You see, there's, everyone thinks that in space, the object is just sitting still. So take my cell phone, for example. It's just sitting, floating in space in this static movement as it flies around the Earth, okay? Well, the reality is this, this object that's flying around in Earth, <clears throat> it's not necessarily static. It could be turning and twisting. It could be uh, rotating on its various axes. So... The complication is how do you deorbit something? How do you grab a hold of something that is moving and tilting and, and, and pivoting? That's where the real complications start coming in. And we've been very fortunate that we've um, been able to work with 
uh, University of Utah on some magnetic detumbling technology um, that uses magnetic eddy currents that passes through the object in order to slow it down on those axes so that we can safely approach it and then grab it. So are you constructing uh, the, is the, the idea to, to build uh, a vehicle of some sort uh, that would be launched to take care of these issues? That's correct. So right now we're working on um, three to four different spacecraft. Um, they're all iterative in design. So uh, they will progressively get more and more complex over the next uh, couple of years. The first one is a uh, is called Barry. It's a very small spacecraft to do some demonstration. Um, the next one up is Laura, which is an inspection observation uh, system uh, where it can get very close to another object in space and then take pictures and perform all kinds of different diagnostics. Um, then the uh, third one we're looking at is potentially called Charlie, which has some uh, uh, iterative robotics equipped to it. And then finally, there's Fred, which is a very large 320 kilogram, uh, 325 kilogram spacecraft with four robotic arms, uh, four kilowatts worth of power and um, capable of, of grabbing a hold of other objects in space or attaching things and, and stuff like that. Where are these names coming from, Jeremy? <laughs> Well, uh, we, as a startup, you have to look for pretty cheap office space. So we're in the top of an old mill building and we have a bat that flies around our office uh, and we named the bat uh, Barry. Uh, so he, he actually still flies around our office. Um, Laura is after my, uh, my adoptive mother that passed away a couple of years ago. Um, uh, Charlie's after a co-founder's father that passed away um, over the past couple of years. And then Fred is after another co-founder's uh, father-in-law that had uh, passed away. So what we've tried to do is um, we've tried to humanize things uh, with the exception of Barry. Um, you know, we tried to humanize things as opposed to going after or, you know, using a bunch of acronyms that really don't mean anything. We tried to inject a little bit of humanity into each each robot. Where are you in the process of uh, turning this into reality, having a vehicle? So uh, currently, uh, Barry is almost ready for flight. Um, we're looking at a launch here in the next uh, several months. That um, he's going out. Uh, we're we're already manifested, so he's going up very soon. Uh, Laura is supposed to go up in May, and then uh, Charlie, his design has not started quite yet. Uh, there's some early concept of him, uh, but Fred's design has actually already started. Uh, so we're we're kind of marching through uh, everything simultaneously. And uh, do you have a contract already? Who's going to be launching it? And uh... Tell us how this will all come together. Yeah, so we're currently contracted with SpaceX um, and they're gonna be putting it on their transporter, on the various transporters that they're sending up over the course of the next uh, uh, eight to 10 months. Um, 
Now that'll be for the Barry's, Fred's, and potentially the Charlie's. Uh, when it comes to Fred, that's a that's a whole other um, system that'll have to be within the stack in the payload fairing. That's not something that would be on one of the ports. It would be within the stack. So with that being said, we're targeting for the end of uh, 23, early 24 for Fred. Uh, it's a pretty aggressive schedule, but we think we might be able to get there. Um, uh, or at least we're going to give it hell and try. Um, as far as customers are concerned, Space Force is, uh, has been funding us uh, for the past uh, several months. Uh, we just won 11 STTRs for a total of about $2.5 million in funding. And uh, we're using that to increase what's called our TRL, our technology readiness level, and accelerate the improvement of these different techs so that we can uh, get to space and start solving these problems. Who are your chief competitors in this arena? Well, there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of internet, international um, uh, competitors, such as uh, uh, Astroscale, uh, clear space. Um, those are the two really the, the main ones internationally, really astro scale. Um, it's hard to compete with 400 million in funding over 10 years. Um, they're doing some pretty interesting stuff. Um, we're moving a little bit faster than they are. Um, or at least our plans are far more aggressive. Um, the, other side of this coin is the U.S. market and our U.S. competitors. Um, companies like Turion, Starfish, um, in terms of startups, those are the ones that are uh, most competitive. So I guess one of the questions that uh, comes to mind would be, what do you do with this stuff? I mean, you don't have a recycling can floating around up there to put it in. It's funny you should say that because that is one of the one of the concepts, one of the things that's being floated out there is repurposing old satellites and trying to create an in-space economy to recycle this stuff or um, uh, reuse it, refit it. Um, that is that's one of the things that's been floating around the industry is how to really deal with that. Deal with that. The alternative really is just send it down um, and burn it up in the atmosphere uh, on re-entry. That's, that's normally what we would do. That's how it's done now. Um, it, if there's something that's really old, they make a maneuver. Uh, if it's in low Earth orbit, they simply send it on a trajectory so that it burns up upon re-entry. Um, if it's at one of the higher orbits like geostationary, then they increase the altitude to what they call the graveyard orbit, and it just sits out there because it's not going to get to Earth for like five or six hundred years. But to, with what you're going to collect uh, in terms of some debris and such, do you do what what happens to it? Well, that stuff, we would probably send it to burn up through the atmosphere. That's probably what we would do. We would attach something to increase its drag, or we would grab it and pull it down uh, to, to burn it up. Um, because there's just not a, there's no, um, 
there's no market for recycling right now in space. There's no there's no facility to actually do that. Um, one of the things that we did talk about uh, here at Rogue is is trying to set up a, a bit of a depot where we'd be able to store this stuff. But then you get into intellectual property rights and salvage and things like that, where companies, uh, space companies don't really like giving up their, their intellectual property or surrendering that. So you got to be able to uh, protect that. And uh, it's like anything else, you know, you have document destruction, same basic thing, you know, um, protecting intellectual property and preventing competitors from flying up and looking at your stuff or even adversaries. Very interesting. So tell us about the need for this. If we don't do anything, what's, what's the problem? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a theory out there. Um, well, it's, it's called the Kessler syndrome where um, it was, depicted pretty well in that movie um, Gravity with Sandra Bullock, where she impossibly finds her way back to Earth. Um, so where one object collides into another and it sets off this, this massive ping pinball effect where things are just constantly blowing up and, and exploding. That's the big fear uh, for space because it would become near impossible or impossible really based on what we have today to actually clean up that debris uh, if something should happen uh, like if something like that should happen well we're not there yet um, the idea is to be proactive and prevent us from getting there um, there's a lot of junk out there and as long as we start acting soon uh, we'll be able to create a very sustainable uh, environment out there and prevent the these problems. Primarily, uh, our big customer to date right now is the Space Force and maintaining access to the domain um, for national security purposes. What kind of junk? What what what's floating around up there that might surprise us? Uh, everything from tools to astronaut gloves to uh, old dead satellites, rocket bodies. I mean, somebody's thing of Tic Tacs that fell out their astronaut suit. I mean, paint flex, just nuts, bolts, and satellites the size of buses. I mean, it's all up there. It, all of it's up there. Where can people go for more information about what you're doing? So you can go to rogue.space, check us out on YouTube, any of our social media outlets. Uh, we're always posting a video or um, uh, more knowledge about the, um, about the various concepts that we're working on, um, or just uh, reach out. Uh, we have a whole, uh, we got a team that's uh, dedicated to sending uh, information out and helping people um, understand the problem. So always feel free to shoot us an email at info at rogue.space. Finally, what in your background led you to this? It was a Star Wars, Star Trek, or what, what, what brought you well, into this realm? Well, I mean, you've got, every kid's got their, their space story. You know, every, you know, everyone that's in space has their, 
when I was a kid type of thing. And I'm no different than that. Um, I just happened to be in a position a couple of years ago to um, make a decision because it's always been something I've wanted to do, never knew how to get into it. And uh, I just happened to be in a position where I'm able to, um, I was able to exercise that, that, that initiative. And I've been very, very, very lucky uh, to been able to get a team surrounding me that's been able to uh, help me execute that. Terrific. The site again is rogue.space. Jeremy Grimmett, thank you so much for taking the time with us. No problem, Fred. Thank you again for having me and um, you know, watch out for that space jump. Now this. It takes a lot of listening to build a better radio, and that's just what the folks at Sea Crane have done. Bob Crane and his crew, nestled among the rivers and tallest trees in the world in Fortuna, California, have made a habit of listening to their customers. And that's just what they've done in building the CC Skywave SSB, the Swiss Army knife of portable radios. For everyday listening to AM or FM in the yard or patio or on the nightstand, Without having to drain a mobile phone battery, it's a great companion. But it is also a companion equipped for NOAA weather information and alerts that can be life-saving. You can listen to FEMA and Coast Guard transmissions too. Beyond all of that, you can tune into shortwave signals from around the world. It's compact, easy to take with you, and built to last. The CC Skywave SSB. Click on the link at textonation.com.